discussion with one of my friends for many, many years now. It's also a member of this church, known long before here I either one ever came to Houston. But, you know, uh, I've got to do a conference in India. And in the northern part of India, at, there are these incredible mountains called the Himalayas that uh, right there on the border uh, between um, India and Pakistan. And there is, of course, Mount Everest, which is the king of all mountains in the world, and I've been there many times, seen it a number of times, many times, in fact, and uh, Irvin and I went there one time, didn't we? Yeah, we sure did, traveling and doing a meeting in India. Talk about a mountain, is that right, Irvin? Talk about a mountain, like, whoa, makes the Rocky Mountains look like they're foothills, and one of my sons in the gospel is going with me, a couple of them are actually to this meeting in India that I've got to do, conference there just real soon. And um, they were interested in Everest. And so I got on the internet and I looked. Do you know at the peak of Everest at this time of the year, there are constant hurricane force winds? Not at base camp, but at the peak. Which means if you've been going through something, you may be a lot closer to the summit than you ever realized you were. I need somebody to say, I'm not at base camp anymore. Would you do that? We're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. No, we're not. And um, an exciting and wonderful new year. Our theme for the year is Elevate Your Life. And I want us to look at the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. To me, the Word of God is so incredibly powerful. And you... Um, know that during the course of a year, what I will do is I will be praying about what God wants to speak in the forthcoming year to this congregation because I am responsible to this congregation. You have placed a trust in me and I need to lead you where God wants you to go. Not only lead you to where God wants you to go, but equip you to be able to make the journey there and be able to possess what you get when you get there and then look beyond that to the next level because in the kingdom of God, there are different dimensions, and you don't ever want to stop pursuing God. Oh, there are little junctures along the way where you, you reach a new level, and you stop for a little while, and you enjoy the view from that level that's more elevated than the one you were at before, but then after a while, you feel the Spirit of the Lord calling you up to a higher place with greater authority and with greater breakthroughs, and you know the old level then becomes a little bit outdated. You don't want to stay there at that same place anymore. Be like your children if they never grew and all, all they did was remain three years old for the rest of their lives. I know some of us have kids that maybe have acted like that at times that are, that are older, but uh, it, that is just the way life is. But during the course of a year, I pray. And at the end of the year, I really focus and concentrate my effort and my prayers toward the Lord as to what I should speak for the congregation the coming year. Now, my own personal experience has taught me that just preaching sermons is not benefiting people very much. I can entertain you. I know how to do that. I've done that and done, you know, I've been in ministry so long that if it's entertainment you want, I can provide that. But to me, that's never uh, a satisfactory product in terms of a, a ministry sermon or gift or a word from God. And I'll tell you why. Because if this book is all about changing one's life, it contains the Word of God that restructured emptiness into everything that we see right now. 
And God's word will restructure your life if it's presented and given to you in a way that you can apply it and use it. And so rather than just preach a sermon one week that entertains and go to another another subject the next, I've learned people do not really benefit much from that. The emotional high lasted about Tuesday or Wednesday, and uh, then you're right back where you were before. And real qualitative change can only be given if you give someone principles that will help them change their life. People change for one of three reasons. I've said this before. They learn enough they can. They're empowered enough that they're able. Or they heard enough that they must. And most of us have been there and done that too. Am I right? Okay, I'm, I'm in a house full of perfect people. I, I would really, I, I'll, I'll be out in the lobby afterward or in the hall. Please come and introduce yourself to me and tell me your secret here. Amen. No, you, I know you're listening, but I've got to draw you into this because... And so I've learned that in, in the educational processes, the way that our mind works, psychology, some would call it, which is a scary word. I've never understood why all of the ology word means the ology suffix on the end of psych. Psych is the mind. All ology means is science of. And so when you have science, psychology, it's science of the mind. It's what science has learned about the way your mind works. And when you say educational psychology, it then means the science of how your mind learns, Okay. And so to me, that's extremely important because I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to waste yours. And I've found out that people learn by attaching information to previous information, which is why Isaiah said line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Uh, That freed me from a number of responsibilities. One is I'm not responsible for preaching everything I know every time I preach anymore, you know, because it's here a little, you know. Amen. And uh, that, that's been helpful to me, and, and you need to smile and say thank you because it's been helpful to you too. Amen. Amen. The human mind can absorb no more than the human seat can endure, as they say, and it really is the truth. What I have felt the Holy Spirit speaking so forcefully is that this year he's going to elevate our lives, elevate our lives, and every part of our lives is going to be elevated. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you're not going to recognize me next year. Would you do that? Oh, no. When December 31 rolls around, if you look for me at the same place I am right now, you're not going to find me because I'm going to be elevated to another level. Somebody in the building says yes. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And notice, and God raised us up with Christ. What happened when Jesus was resurrected? He wasn't just brought from death to life. Remember that he was brought from carnality into the spiritual dimension. By carnality, I mean flesh. His fleshly body has now become spiritual. Was he elevated? Oh, yeah. Because the scripture says he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. (laughs) Tell somebody, that's elevated. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. Where at? In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages... 
he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God wants to show somebody something in you. You think he's trying to show you something, he's really trying to show somebody else something in you. Amen. Genesis 35 and 1, then God said to Jacob, arise and go. Which direction? Come on, let me hear you. Which direction? Up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God. 1 Samuel 10, 5 through 6, after that, God is giving this word to Samuel the prophet that he is now sharing with Saul. It's a prophecy. It hasn't yet come to pass, but it's about to. And Samuel tells Saul, after that, you will go to Gilboa of God. You know what Gilboa means? It means heal or elevated place. Where there is a Philistine outpost, and as you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets. I'll just stop right there and say it's a bad thing when the enemy has the high ground. Amen. You'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place. There it is. With lyres, timbrels, pipes. And harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. Turn to your neighbor and say, something's getting ready to happen to you. And you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Mm -hmm. Then on to verse 10 through 11, when he, that is Saul and his servant, arrived at the high place, Gilboa, a procession of prophets met him, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying and began to prophesy. When all those who had formerly known him, watch it now, and they saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this? That has happened to the son of Kish. Is Saul also among the prophets? He got stuff he didn't have after that encounter. He got stuff that did not exist before. Father, I'm praying that you will speak to us right now and release a word that will change our lives. We stand before you today with our hearts open and ask you to give us direction and guidance for this forthcoming year, in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. The Jewish concept of a new year is a lot different than that in Western circles. By Western, I mean Israel is actually considered to be an Eastern nation. They call it Mideast, for example. It's more East than it is West. The way people view life there is a little bit different. Than it is here, though Israel is comprised of people, Jewish people from all over the world. But the one thing that they share in commonality, the one thing that they have together is an understanding of Jewish law as it relates to God's word. Jewish people believe that at the beginning of every new year that God stretches forth his rod of a shepherd, his shepherd's staff, the rod that comforts me, the rod is stretched over his people and he causes his sheep to pass under the rod and he speaks over them a prophetic word of destiny for that forthcoming year. That is to say, you're not going to wake up three months from now and suddenly something's going to happen because God decided it. They say God actually speaks over your life what's going to take place the next 12 months and that if you could see it, it's incredible. Hmm. 
It's incredible. I told somebody just recently, I don't have the luxury, one of my spiritual sons, two of them were in the first service this morning, and, um, and uh, I wasn't even know, didn't even know they were going to be here, but just last evening I was speaking to another one who was addressing a situation, and I said, what you've got to learn to do is anticipate and know what's going to happen before it happens, because if you can only see one step ahead or two steps ahead, then tragically and unfortunately you're living where most people live just waiting to see what the day is going to bring. As a pastor, I have, do not have that luxury. If I wait till in the morning to find out what's going to happen tomorrow, then understand it's too late for me to begin to do anything about it. So I have to anticipate, and you anticipate based upon trends. Trends. You watch what is happening. Very seldom does someone make just a sudden decision that suddenly is a 90-degree turn. There's usually a curve that begins before the, the turn itself is made. And I'll give you, and that's for good or bad. When someone's life begins to be elevated, there's a curve that begins to take place as they arc out of where they're at through a process of embracing principles that they have not known about up until that moment or divine connections have occurred. Same thing takes place when someone is going the wrong way, which is why you get this sick feeling in your stomach whenever your kids start hanging with the wrong kids and your kid is a good kid. Because you know where this trend is leading. And you don't need to wait until you wake up in the morning on the day a police officer shows up at your door to give you bad news to know where that's going to end up. Abraham watched Lot pitch his tent, the scripture said, toward Sodom. It's only a short while later that Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. He's no longer moving that direction. He's now there. He's bought into what's going on there. And so... It's important for us to be able to anticipate what God is going to say and over us, or what he has spoken over us, I should say, in the course of our lives and not be shocked by it. We need to embrace it with faith and know that whatever God has planned for us, it's for our good. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Tell somebody, you're getting ready to be blessed this year, would you do that? It is important to also know what to do to achieve those strategies because the one thing that can keep us from achieving them is not the devil. It's whenever we in unbelief fail to embrace a strategy that facilitates what God has spoken and begin to work in opposition to that. You say, is that really true? Can we hinder what God wants to do? Ask Israel and the 40 years they spent in the wilderness. uh, Ask them if that's true because not one of them entered the promised land, yet that's where they started out to go, where God wanted them to go. It's because they failed to implement strategies to get them there that the enemy was successful in causing them to miss out. Their children went because once the word goes out of God's mouth, it can't return back to him void or fall to the ground. God said, you know, the house of Joseph is going, the house of Simeon, the house of Benjamin, they're all going to Israel. Just so happens you didn't get to go. You could have. Because you didn't embrace strategies. You have to know a strategy that works. Tell somebody, you have to have strategies that work. Would you do that? Now, in this day of having fought wars recently and two going on right now, most Americans are very familiar with the principles of the U.S. military. Amen. You join the military, and after six weeks at boot camp, you decide you don't like it? You don't go home to mama. You made a commitment, and they're going to make you keep your commitment, whether you want to or not. 
And so you need, you, there's, in life, you need strategies at work. You heard about the guy? He was, uh, the general watched one day, and he noticed a soldier walking on the base and picking up every scrap of paper he came to. And he'd read it, look at it, and put it down and say, that's not it. And he'd go on, find another piece of paper, pick it up and look at it, read it. That's not it. And put it back down. He did that the whole day, and the general kept watching through his window, and he thought, that's very bizarre. Next day, same thing. The next day, and finally, the general went to the, the base psychologist and said, you need to give that boy a, a, you know, a test and analyze him. I mean, something's going wrong uh, psychologically. There's something amiss. And sure enough, the psychologist got him in and, and concluded that he was mentally imbalanced and stressed and had become deranged and needed a medical discharge. And he wrote out the medical discharge and he handed the piece of paper to the guy and the guy looked at it and smiled and said, that's it? <laughs> you need a strategy that works. You understand what I'm talking about? That's it. And whenever you get to the end of the year, I want you to be able to look and say, that's it. Amen. It's important that you know what makes these things happen. There are three things apart from God and the influence of his Holy Spirit, which become a prophetic force that determines your future. These three things are how you see yourself, number two, the level of truth you know, and number three, how you apply the truth you have just learned or that you know. Each of those three things are in turn impacted by three other things. For example, when I say that how you see yourself determines your future, that is in turn impacted by the people closest to you, the thoughts you think, and your access to new technology and information. All of these affect how you see yourself. People closest to you become a mirror to you and reflect back to you a certain image, which if it's distorted and warped like one of these, these mirrors in a funny house somewhere that show you being altogether different than you are, then your friends can have a catastrophic impact upon your identity and the way you view yourself. Then two, the level of truth you know determines your future that is also impacted by three things. Chief among them is your spiritual hunger. Secondly are the thoughts you think because you've got to get hungry enough to change your thinking because that's the hardest part of this whole thing to do. Anybody can gain access to new information. You think going to school is hard. Let me tell you what, it's hard. Changing your mind and the way you think. And long after people are saved, then they're still struggling through this process of restructuring the way they think. This is why Paul said to be renewed. And sometimes you need to lay hands on yourself and say, God, help me to renew my mind. Amen. And also, as I said, the level of truth that you receive is determined by your willingness to embrace truth as God gives it to you. Because he will no longer continue to give truth to people that when they receive it, just reject it. The third determiner of your destiny that has prophetic significance in speaking into your future, what will happen to you, is how you apply what you have learned on the basis of how you see yourself. And so these three things that affect that are, as I said, your willingness to let go of models that are no longer cutting edge. Secondly, your ability to anticipate needs before they become apparent to others. And thirdly, how you effectively apply what you've just learned. Can you apply what you've just learned to be able to solve that problem that you have anticipated before it arises? As I said, 
told one of my pastor's sons yesterday, don't wait until it shows up to know it was coming. You need to have enough insight to figure it out before it gets there. Because other people influence how you see yourself, those three prophetic determiners, prophetic, as it were, decision makers about your life that will impact your future and determine what your destiny will be, again, how you see yourself, the level of truth you know, and, your, and, and also how you apply what you have learned, those three things are all impacted by the people that influence you. They influence how you see yourself, they influence your level of truth, and they influence even how you apply what you have learned. Come on and tell me, mama, that you don't teach your daughter to cook just like you. you family recipes handed down from generation to generation, the very fact that that exists is an indication that we teach others to apply what we have learned the way we have applied. And it's that way about life in general. Amen. The reason that other people influence you on all three of these things is because they, listen ladies and gentlemen, they expose you to their level of anointing and their level of gifting. It is possible, therefore, watch it, I've got something to tell you. It is possible, therefore, through strategic associations and relationships with those at a higher level to elevate your life. How does that work? It's because they, these people that are strategic in your life expose you to new giftings and new anointings that were not previously a part of your repertoire. Mm. These giftings and anointings, therefore even change your identity. Stop and look at it. And this is the way it works. When you make contact with a higher level of anointing or gifting, you create a demand on that anointing or gift. And two spiritual principles kick in. One is the law of transference and the other is the law of importation. And they cause a release of whatever that is in the person at this level because you've made contact with it and created a demand on it to now start flowing to you. To quote science and physics, nature abhors a vacuum. And if they've got something up here more forceful than you've got down here and you connect with them, this is getting ready to come down to that. And what floated their boat now starts floating yours. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is why correct relationships are so vital, and this is literally the principle that existed when the woman with the issue of blood never even bothered to articulate a prayer request, but just said, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to place a demand on whatever gifting and anointing is in him. And the vacuum in me is going to pull something out of him. Hello, somebody. And because it does work that way, she was made whole. That's also why when she touched him, Jesus turned around and said, virtue just went out of me. Because he sensed somebody had placed a demand on the anointing and gifting he had. 
he had authority over all kinds of, 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 of illness. And because he did, when that demand was placed, it flowed down to her, floated her boat up to where he was at, where she now had authority over that illness, and it left her body also. And this is what happened with Saul at Gilboa. He met folk at a high place who had an anointing that wasn't even present in his original birth identity. And when he came in contact with him, this is what Samuel said is going to happen. You're going to prophesy. And once he got hooked up with these guys, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he began to prophesy and function in a gift he didn't even have until he made contact and the law of importation and transference went to work and brought him up to the level of gifting they had operating within them. Mm, and I am going to preach to you now. Because I got a feeling this year we're connecting to something that's higher than we have been at before. Mm. I'm talking to some, uh, I need you to say it again. Tell somebody, don't look for me where I am right now come December. Because I'm not going to be here. Oh, I'll be in this house, but I'm not going to be here. Don't you judge me on the basis of what you see me doing or what gifts you may or may not think I have. Because if you do, you're going to be looking at me like they did Saul and saying, are you also among the prophets now? Because I'm getting ready to get a download of something that's going to float my boat to another level. Which is why you also... When you're in ministry, the higher you go, watch it now, have to work hard to make sure you got coming in as much or more than what you have going out. Because where you don't want to be is in a position where you're only giving and not receiving because after a while, you turn around and search for another bale of hay to throw out there and there's not any. Pot's empty. You hear what I'm saying? The word that God has given me for us this year is 2013. Is our year to be floated up to the next level. Somebody in the building say amen. It's going to happen for several reasons and I've got to hurry and get there. This is our year for elevation. Number one, elevate your life. How do I do it, pastor? This is how you do it. Elevate your life. Your finances, your business, your ministry, your anointing, everything about who you are, elevate your life by elevating your God. Amen. Isaiah 6 and 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. This is the year to get it right. Tell somebody, let's get it right this year. Would you do that? You need to know this, God doesn't do real well as number two. Uh-uh. And some of us in the past have elevated our problems. We've elevated our responsibilities. We've even elevated our families and our jobs and our places of business. Hello, somebody. You can even elevate your ministry higher than you elevate God. 
And do you know what that becomes? Another word for that is idolatry. Hello, and God doesn't bless that. He's either Lord of all or he's not going to be Lord at all. And if you want a divine flow to come from that level, let me tell you, putting your problem up here is not going to float your boat. It doesn't have anything to release to you but negativity. And that's why focusing on things that are not what you're supposed to spend your life focused and centered on always have a detrimental and even disastrous effect on your life. Amen. But when he's on his throne, amazing things happen. This is what the psalmist said in 108 verses 5 through 6. Be exalted, O God, above the heaven and your glory above all the earth. I want to challenge you as your, fast, your pastor this year to in 2013, let's get it right. I'm serious. I'm going to look you right in the eye. And I'm going to tell you, let's get it right. Amen. Amen. Can somebody in the building say amen? amen? And that is why when you elevate God, he elevates you in the process. When you lift him up, you're connected to him. You get drawn right up there with him. Oh, yeah. We would have never heard of Mr. Rockman from Chicago. You know who I'm talking about? Or some of these other guys, if a fella named Barack Obama had not been elevated. Because once he got elevated, he took all his entourage with him. Well, when you elevate God, he takes his entourage with him. Can I hear somebody in the building say amen here today? I need somebody to understand what's getting ready to happen. When you lift him up, he lifts you up. I'm talking to somebody that's getting ready to go to another level. Secondly, you say, how do I elevate God? I'm here on Sunday. You know, most Sundays. Unless the Texans are playing. Why you curse them? You're not in the house of God. They're going to lose sure as God made little green apples. Amen. You come to church and pray for them. Say a prayer in Jesus' name. Bless the Texans today. And whatever you need to do. But you, you need to get your priorities straight. Because whenever you, whenever you elevate God, this is how you elevate him. You elevate what matters to him. And so number two, elevate your God by elevating his kingdom. Come on, somebody in the building, say, I know that's right. Matthew 6 and 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What are they added to? When you, they're added to the kingdom that comes into your life. When you seek the kingdom, you're elevating God. And it makes things happen. You should always seek to partner with those who have more or different giftings to offer than you do. Don't just hang around those that think like you think. Read the same books you read. Watch the same TV shows. Hello, you need somebody to challenge you that have a different gift. I don't know anybody can challenge you more than God can. Because his ways are not my ways. And he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts as the heavens are high above the earth. So are my thoughts above yours and my ways above yours. Amen. And when you partner with those who have 
more giftings than you, you benefit by the capabilities they bring to the table that you don't have access to otherwise. The other day I read that a Mercedes G-Wagon weighs 5,700 pounds. Now, while it's a beautiful automobile and it draws attention when it's cruising down the highway or through the neighborhood, there are some things it is not designed to do. It is not aeronemically designed. It, does, it is not engineered to fly. In fact, if you ever go flying in a G-Wagon, you're going to end up in the hospital before you land or after, shortly after you land. Because flight in an automobile is something that you don't want to have happen to you. Like Thelma and Louise, or was that who it was, over the edge of that cliff. Uh-uh, I'm not floorboarding any convertible to go over a cliff for anybody. Cars do not fly. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? But yet, an A380-800 flies. The new Boeing jumbo liner can take off here in Houston and sail to far places unknown and unseen and unvisited. It's made to fly. That A380 weighs 610,000 pounds empty or 107 times the weight of a Benz G-Wagon. Here's what I want you to understand. While that G-Wagon can't fly, there's a cargo hold in that plane. And I can drive a G-Wagon up inside that plane, and all of a sudden it can do what it wasn't doing just a few minutes before. Am I talking to anybody right now? Amen. It can go places right where that a 380s going. It's given an impartation of abilities it did not have till it hooked up with an A380. In fact, if you want to hear this, listen, it can carry 103 G-Wagons and still have maintained takeoff weight. All of them will be able to do something. Not only does it happen to you and your G-Wagon, it happens to 102 others They all receive an impartation and have abilities given to them that are abilities of what they're within. Well, somewhere I read that I am in Christ. I have abilities I don't have outside. And I want you to know, he said to his church, you're going to tread on serpents and and scorpions and you're going to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I can't do that in myself, but when I'm in the A380 that's known as Jesus Christ and his kingdom, I I can do things I can't do by myself. So when you elevate the kingdom, you elevate the gifting and anointings of the kingdom, you get sucked up too to another level. Number three, how do you elevate the kingdom? Remember, you want to elevate God? How do you elevate God? You elevate God by elevating his kingdom. Don't, don't think for a minute that you can elevate God. Oh, I just go to church and I worship God. And I just, you know, when I feel like it, I don't. I just have my little thing at home. Uh, you don't elevate his kingdom. You're not elevating him. Uh-uh. Hear what I'm talking about. 
This is what he came into the world to bring. And if it doesn't matter to you, then what matters to him is not mattering to you. How do you elevate his kingdom? You elevate his kingdom by elevating his word. Psalms 138 verse 2, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Now this is going to be a revelation for some of you. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Oh, pastor, I love the name of Jesus. Now, the word I'm not so sure about sometimes. I, I, I believe in healing, pastor. It's in the name. Pastor, I believe in prosperity. Jehovah Jireh, it's in the name. I believe in divine peace. Amen. Right on down the line, Jehovah Shalom. I believe in all of that. It's in the name, in the name, in the name. But, you know, we're, we're in a different kind of day. I'm not so sure that his word still applies. He said he elevates his word above his name. Oh, I got a little quiet there, but I need to hear somebody say amen. amen. This is your year to accept the authority of his word without question. Too many of us pick and choose what we want from the word. Hello, somebody. Oh, pastor, I have an enlightened revelation. I don't need the tithe in 2013, but I am a worshiper. I love that name. He elevates his word above his name. Come on, somebody help me. The balcony, are you hearing me? How do you elevate his word? Okay, I'll read the Bible more. Uh -uh, it's more to it than that. You have to elevate your commitment. You elevate God by elevating his kingdom. You elevate his kingdom by elevating his word and what he has to say about it, the principles contained in it. This book is not all about you shall or shall not. That's not what this is about. This is the principles of the kingdom right here. So you elevate his word by elevating your commitment to these principles. Can you see this? This is so easy. Over the last two decades, something has happened to Christianity that has been both insidious and costly. It has. Listen to this. Churches have become accustomed to activity without the anointing, the altar without adoration. We have attendance without ascendance, the Bible without believing. We pursue the benefit without the blessing. We have Christianity without commitment, Christ without the cross, and discipleship without dedication. We have effort without effectiveness, growth without the glory, membership without metamorphosis, and ministry without the mission. Father, we seek purpose without prayer, the sacred without sanctification. We have services without sacrifice, and we offer worship without worthiness. Because we have equivocated to such a degree that we don't really think the word today. Surely not. Well, let me tell you something. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. You don't get in the 380. Until you agree to certain conditions, there's a little sign that comes on that says, fasten your seatbelt, and they will make an announcement, please turn off all electronics. Alex Baldwin found out that applied even to him. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to stay on my phone. No, you're not if you want to stay on the plane. Because once you get in this, you don't get to vote on certain things anymore. How many of you saw that flight from Iceland? Was it Iceland the other day? That guy, they, he got drunk and belligerent on the plane. They took duct tape, taped him to the seat, put a mask over his face. He, 
You don't get to fly, baby, unless you agree to the rules to get on the plane. Tell somebody I got my ticket. Would you do that right now? I want to ask you a question. Why don't you just go ahead and make a decision today to be committed in 2013? Go ahead and buy it all. Buy it all. Go ahead and take the whole package. Oh, you know what? Y'all remember that old song? Uh, Mambo number five. Little bit of Monica in my life. Little bit of Rita. That's what we do with the word of God. Little bit of Acts in my life. Little bit of Psalms in my Little bit of First Corinthians. Don't work like that. I always wonder what Monica had to say about that. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? Elevate the level of your commitment. You know who we have become like? We've become like the U.S. Senator, true story, who was once asked his attitude toward whiskey and being the politician that he was. He said this, if you mean the demon drink that poisons the mind, pollutes the body, desecrates family life, and inflames sinners, then I'm against it. But if you mean the elixir of a New Year toast, the shield against winter chill, the taxable potion that puts needed funds into public coffers to comfort little crippled children, then I'm for it. This is my position and I will not compromise. He actually said that. That's how we Christians are. Psalms 119, verse number 58 through 59, I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Why don't you go ahead and just sell out? Tell somebody, go hard in 2013. Come on, go hard. Come on, let me hear you say it. Go hard. Come on, say it like you mean it. Go hard. Come on, say it. Go hard. If you can't do it for 12 months, do it for six. If you can't do it for six, go do it for three. And then afterward, come have a conversation with me and tell me if, if the benefit has not transformed your life even after only three months. You see, you need to know this. In the kingdom, 99.5% just won't do. The blessing is in the half percent that we still hold on to. It's when we let that go that radical elevation begins to occur in our lives. Moving on, so how do you elevate his, your commitment? You do so by, by elevating the mission. What is the mission of the church? We're here to impact the world. That's why we're here, missions. We're here to reach the lost. We're here to transform lives. We're not here to build earthly kingdoms. Amen. And God honors those who devote their life to making happen what matters to him. There are some things that would not even be in the Bible had it not been that some people understood the concept that I'm talking about right now of elevating the mission. When Mary broke the alabaster box of ointment that was precious, Jesus turned around and said, because you have done this, as long as there's an earth to stand on and people that live in it and that can stand, what you have done here today will be told and your name will be mentioned. You're going to receive immortality into, pepper, into a perpetuity. You're going to be known as long as people can have a conversation because of what you did, because you made matter to you what matters to me. I can't
came to this world to live and to die for lost humanity and to give myself. And you came and anointed me for my burial. Everybody else is fighting it. Peter's saying, no, no, it's not going to happen. He'll die first. And all the rest of them are denying it. But you alone allied yourself with me in my hour of mission and in my time of destiny. And because of that, he said, because you've embraced my mission. As long as there's a church in the earth, people will know who you are. Amen. Amen. Why? She gave her life savings to help make happen what mattered to God. Last year, I asked you, I challenged you, win five people to God this year. I I challenged all of us, win 5,000. Amen. Some of you won five and more. Some of you a number more. I met with a man, had lunch with a man yesterday. Won a whole, they're having to move out of the house. They're having a Bible study with over 60 some odd people in it now. Amen. And some of us are just content to come to church on Sunday and we wonder why we're not having elevation. Wherever you go, elevate him. Now understand, you're not responsible for making the seed grow, but you have to at least sow the seed. Amen. One sows another waters. God gives the increase. Tell somebody, sow the seed. Would you do that right now? Come on, sow the seed. Amen. So how do you elevate your mission? And I'm done. You elevate the mission by elevating your church. Amen. People want to elevate the mission worldwide and never have a local church to go to. How's that building anything? Is that working for you? I'm serious. Serious. Is it working for you? I'll tell you what's happened in all of this, this day and age of when people don't want to belong to anything. Since the 60s, people are really reluctant to hook up with anything. They don't want to be seen as part of an establishment, whether it's an establishment in terms of a government or an establishment in terms of an organization or a church or whatever. They always want to be seen as counter-revolutionaries or a counter-culture, I should say, rather. And revolutionaries is what they want to be. And yet, you know... You can't build the kingdom without building the church because the kingdom is comprised of churches all over the world. And what we do is we leave the job of the mission to the church, which are these nameless masses of people, faceless masses that meet all over the globe on a Sunday. But we ourselves, we don't feel necessary. I want you to put your hand on your chest and I want you to say these words, I matter to God. Would you do that? And tell somebody, I have a destiny. Would you do it? And say this now, if I don't do my part, it will not get done. Would you say it? Hey, man, you have to do your part. You need to. You say, but I don't want to go to church. God told Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel. You know what Bethel means? Beth is house. El is the name of God. Bethel, house of God. Arise, go which direction? Down, cross town? No, go up. Where did Saul meet? The prophet's coming from the high place of God. That's where you're changed and transformed, at the high place. Amen. Church is not down. It's always up, always has been, always will be. But people say, oh, I don't want to go to that church. That church has hypocrites in it. You know? Yeah, you're right. They, they, we do. Well, some of you are not laughing. You say, how do you find me out? Uh, You're right. We have hypocrites. Yes, we do. Amen. There might even be one sitting on the pew with you. But guess what? That's no reason to not come to church. They're hypocrites in the police department. I'm serious. We have wonderful law enforcement officers here. State, city, county, they're all members here. 
But listen to me. There are hypocrites. There are some of them that are not clean and not honest. But I bet you if somebody's breaking into your house at 2.30, you call 911. Hello? Someone else will say, I can't go to that church. All preachers want are money. You're right. <laughs> About some of them, you are. You're probably right. Not me. It doesn't mean much to me. But yeah, there are churches all over this place that they just want money. You're right. Amen. But so do many doctors. You have a heart attack, bring me to the, I'm not, I'm coming home, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, just wait a while. I'm going to the hospital. That's what you say. Get cancer and then tell me all that doctor wants is money. You don't even care about stuff like that then. Am I talking to anybody? Oh, but the church has people with ego, that are on ego trips. You're right. You're right. Sure you are. You're probably right. So do politicians. There are among them many who have, in fact, I'm not sure I know any of them that don't. That stopped you from voting last November. I've never seen anybody had bigger egos than some of these actors. You watch TV last night? My Stevie Wonder impersonation. I'm just happy I don't see anything. We allow the devil to make us use excuses. God told Jacob, you will elevate your life if you go up to Bethel. Where did he say to build your altar? At Bethel. You don't get to build your altar where you want to. What's wrong with us? We think we can build an altar everywhere we want. I build my altar in the home, not according to the word of God. You go and you build your altar at Bethel. Am I against having a family altar? No, I'm not, but I'm against it if it replaces the one you're supposed to have at church. Come and let us reason together. Come, let's magnify the Lord together. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Amen. You say, how do I elevate the mission? You elevate the mission by elevating your mission. Because your mission is a part of the mission, which in turn, ladies and gentlemen, is a part of elevating your church. And you see what I'm saying right on down the line. You elevate your mission. How do you elevate your church? You elevate your mission. Find a place to get involved in the local house. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. You have a reason for which you were born. Find it and fill it. It's a Kairos time. Just tell somebody, do it. Would you do that? I'm closing. Do it. Elevate your God. How? By elevating his kingdom because that's what matters to him. How do you elevate his kingdom? By elevating his word because his kingdom is all about the principles of life that this world doesn't know anything about. And he will restructure this word through the establishment of his principles. When people embrace them, it brings in the kingdom of God. How then do you establish or elevate his word? By elevating your commitment. How do you elevate your commitment? By elevating the mission. The mission. You have to support it. You you get no choice. You don't get to vote. You want to be in that A380 when it takes off, or are you going to try to fly without us? 
You going to get your G-Wagon off the ground? We'll go, let's see how far you go. We may fly all the way to Singapore, but you're not going to fly but about 10 or 15 feet, and then you're going to roll over several times if you try to do it and you're not inside the A380. You need to be in Christ, and then he will give you the lift up that you need that you don't have by yourself. How do you elevate the mission? By elevating the church. And how do you elevate the local church? By becoming a part of that church and then finding a place to get involved. Elevate your mission, your individual mission. This is where I cross beliefs with some people that are in the church. I have some people who say, your mission doesn't matter. I'm talking about I hear some pastors talk like this. That the individual mission doesn't matter. All that matters is, is my church. No, no, no. You wouldn't have a church if it weren't for people that join together pursuing their individual missions in harmony. God brought you here. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you know why you're in this house right now? Would you do that? I've got a word for somebody. You didn't come here because you wanted to. God brought you here. And some of you, God drug you here. Come on, help me out. Am I right? Scratching and clawing and leaving fingernail marks down the aisle, but you're here. Now that you're here, look around and ask what you can do. Ask how you can serve. Get involved in something. I want you to stand with me across the building. And ultimately, what we're going to do is this. Elevate your life. Those who are serving communion are coming. I'm going to do communion very, very quickly right now. Because I, I will be leaving immediately to go to the other service. Pastor Irvin, you will help me and conclude this, please. They're going to take their position and then immediately upon arriving at your places, those of you who are helping me serve communion today, uh, immediately those in the balcony when they take the communion service and get it to the balcony and those that are underneath the balcony on the ground floor, you in the balcony, underneath the balcony, talking about the members here today, those who are here worshiping with us, you will not need, even need to move up to the front. They're going to bring communion to you, all right? And then those in these first five sections right here that are closer to the platform, they're passing out the communion service now. And what we will do is we will, the first person on the pew, Sister Marcella, will do it this way. You'll come around. Then Trey, you'll follow her, and that is the person on the, it will be your left side of the pew, you got that? That person will come, walk around, get communion, go back to their place, then the next pew will do the same thing, exiting one row of seats, but re-entering from the opposite side to keep everything smooth so we don't have too much congestion. Would you begin to serve communion right now? Please, that's right, come on. Those in the balcony, under the balcony, they're, they're there to help you. And what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Lord's table as we begin this new year. Amen. This moment. 